the ending of our second full day together on this retreat. Bringing you back, bringing you back to how it is now for us. We can reflect. How does it seem now? My sense is that it's uh, not been easy these first few days. So I hope that everyone is doing all right. And is uh, encouraging yourself to stay with the process. I certainly have uh, been enjoying the practice today very much. I've been very, very, very tired. And there's a certain sort of nourishment that I don't get unless I pause. And then there's a kind of drinking that happens. I've been enjoying this afternoon. Drinking. Drinking in the... the blessing that comes from patiently, compassionately, receiving, in this case, tired body, aching body. But meditation has been uh, quite a friend to me over the years. If anything, There are lots of words we say might just drop away. But if anything stays, it may, may the sentiment come through that this is a precious opportunity we have to have encountered wisdom teachings from the Buddha. So we have an opportunity to hear something that has true principle in it. Even when it's distorted by people with funny accents from Tennessee, <laughs> Tennessee has a lovely accent. <laughs> When they hear her talk in America, they just say, Ma'am, I just like the way you talk. <laughs> <laughs> and even through the distortion, these 2,500 years, something comes through when the heart is sincere, when there's commitment, and there's a sincere recognition that this is 
this is rings true and something in us has enough confidence, something in us has enough what's called sadha, enough faith to give it a try. The Buddha never asked us just blindly believe. He didn't ask us to do that. But if it seems harmless, if it doesn't seem like it's going to harm yourself or another, if that sense of confidence arises, try. The most wonderful thing that I've done in this lifetime is by having the good fortune to encounter the Buddhist teachings, that something in me responded and that I was willing to to investigate. I'm so grateful. And it continues. Today is also a day of gratitude for me. 25 years ago today, July 21st, um, 1977, was uh, the day that I was uh, given my name by Ajahn Kikisaro, the day that I ordained as a monk. And strangely, there's also on this day, July the 21st, just by coincidence, 11 years ago, that uh, a great Chinese master, through his disciples, uh, allowed me to learn more about Kuan Yin, the Kuan Yin practice. So when July 21st comes around, This morning I was so tired, I thought, well, I don't know. But it is amazing, this alchemy, this alchemy of patiently being with the moment that something mysterious happens. It's been my experience. And as I reflect uh, almost 25 years, 26 years, If I drop over dead tonight, it's possible that uh, just reflecting that I've uh, made some effort to to explore to explore these wonderful teachings that will bring a sense of joy. That brings a sense of joy. So I encourage all to to be patient with the what apparently is the sludge. Sludge is good. Good compost. Beautiful beautiful lotuses emerge from what might look like sludge. It looks like sludge. It's actually rich. Actually, this activity that we're doing is, is a gesture of compassion for ourselves. It's, unfortunately, over the years, maybe the centuries, samadhi has become this thing that you do. Even in the mass monastic life, it was kind of like a Bad, you were hard to 
I'm very good, actually. <laughs> yeah. We used to do an all-night sitting once a, once a week in the monastery. You know, 7.30 evening standing, we were ready for it. Standing's over 8.30. <laughs> Talk goes on a bit long, hour and a half, ten. Still, I've got the night to come. Enlightenment, here we go. 11, 11.30. That four o'clock chanting looks a long way away. Then you're kind of, next thing you know, you're kind of nodding. <laughs> then some other monk comes up in front of you. Not a particularly nice monk, necessarily. Another monk comes up to you while you're nodding and says, Hey, how's your samadhi? <laughs> and sometimes I was, I was tempted once to, to say, Well, how does this feel? <laughs> I didn't bow, but I just restrained myself. <laughs> but sometimes samadhi becomes this thing of accomplishment or failure. This thing that you do, this giving tranquility or getting this word jhana, the horrible word, what we've done to it. Jhana in the monastic life is just kind of thing. Do you have it? Don't you have it? How dare you even think that you even might have even cleansed it? Or, you mean you don't have it? What a shame you wasted your life. <laughs> and, and actually, it, it has gotten away so much from even these commentaries on scriptures. It's so kind of involved and full of all kinds of stuff you think you're supposed to be doing. And when you go back to the origin, when you go back to what the Buddha taught, it's actually quite simple. It's a compassionate gesture. Remember when the Buddha had that memory of a child under the rose apple tree and that blameless pleasure of just withdrawing and allowing that open fresh mind to receive the simple rhythm of breath, breathing. So when he had that memory, he'd been torturing himself for six years. He was starving. He was wound up like a steel spring. He had the thought, there is no one making more effort than me. There is no one more acquainted with pain than me. This isn't peaceful. And then he has a memory of the child and he thought, yes, that's blameless. It doesn't hurt anyone. This is the way. This is the path. Then he realized, he says, in this state, I can't even do that. He realized he had to eat something. Gesture of compassion for this, this body that had been tortured. Even somehow imagining that the, the spiritual life, somehow having food, was somehow really bad. Realized that there's nothing evil in form. Canissa likes to notice that uh, the fact that he received his first 
kneel after that insight from the maiden, Sujata, who offered him a meal of milk rice or something like that. His fellow ascetics saw that's the proof this guy has really lost it. Diving headlong into sensuality. Underlined. They huffed off and left him. But he trusted his own insight. He didn't have to gobble, I don't know, I wasn't there, but he didn't have to gobble a <laughs> hundred bowls of milk rice. Probably had one. He regained his strength. And then this, this meditation that we've been doing today is a gesture also of compassion, just like receiving the form symbolically from the feminine, allowing the form not to be evil, but to be known for what it is, received consciously, compassionately. Then when he uh, did the breath, he sat down with his awareness before him, established presence of mind, and then noticed whether it was long breath, short breath. And we've turned this thing into all kinds of techniques about over the centuries. Oh, you've got to watch the breath here. Some people are really rigid about that. Other people say, no, 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 don't watch the breath there. You'll get lost in jhana. Then you'll never come around to Vipassana. As if you run across people lost in bliss frequently. (laughs) You hear this powerfully argued in monastic circles, meditation circles. And then others say, no, 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 watch it at the chest. This is the center. This is where it's all coming back to. This is your heart space. This is where the great jhana kings watch. And you get others equally powerful. No, 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 no. Keep the energy down. You get some kind of yoga disease. You let that energy go through the process. <laughs> Dangerous. Rise and fall. That's where it's at. The belly. <laughs> Don't go much lower. <laughs> For heaven's sake. <laughs> then another teacher told me, no, just keep it, keep it above the waist. <laughs> oh, God. Then a good friend of ours who's the abbot of the Chithurst Monastery. He's a wonderful monk. Ajahn uh, Siddhartha. He's a awesome practitioner, wonderful, compassionate, loving, wise person. And he, he uh, spoke to us. He comes out to see us in South Africa sometimes and helps us. And he was encouraging us recently. And he said, you know, he says, I'm upset. He said, they took the body out of Buddhism. He said, for years he was trying to do this thing with his nose. <laughs> He's a scholar as well. You won't find anything about the nose in the scriptures. The nose, the belly button. 
This chocolate, that chocolate. He said, let's bring the body back into Buddhism. What is this about this? Somehow making the body evil. It's the wrong use of the body that gets us in trouble. But if you look at the at the teaching that Tanissa read out the other morning, which is the basis of these compassionate breath meditation, I say compassionate because it was that which bestows ease. It's compassionate because we're tense, exhausted, fractured, twisted. That which brings a kind of pleasure and ease and contentment that doesn't harm, doesn't exploit. If you look at what it says, knowing if you're breathing in long, knowing if you're breathing out long, knowing if it's short. And then breathing, experiencing or being sensitive to the whole body. Look it up in the scripture. Then some people didn't want to have the body in their place. Oh, what he really meant was, he's talking about the whole breath body. Right. Is it really the whole breath body? Then if you look at the analogies, the analogies the Buddha gives. Remember the Bassman apprentice and the Bassman simile that this body was like in a lovely brass bowl, which is a heart. Just flaky powder, fragmented, dusty, doesn't connect. That's us. And we're not composed. Sprinkling water. Kneading. So that all the dry gets, little by little, little by little, permeating, suffusing every bit of it with this lovely moisture. The image was that there is no part in the, of this body that has not been suffused, permeated with the ease, with the pleasure. The word pity, rapture, a strong word. But there's no part of the whole body. And when the Buddha even talks about deeper states of peace, he describes it as there's no part of the body that's not covered by a lovely white sheet. Sometimes when we practice with this idea of it being this kind of technique we have to make work, we, we, we get fixated with these parts of the body fixated trying to get somewhere, fixated with this notion that we got to have rapture. I don't have rapture. got to turn up the pressure a little bit. I have met hundreds of people over the years. See, the way they do the breath meditation just is a battle that they lose. Meditation becomes this weird thing. But actually when one goes back to the original instructions, quite ordinary things, useful things, knowing a deep breath, knowing a shallow breath, encouraging 
by suffusing the attention through the body. The moisture is the, is the awareness. To experience the whole body. And then after that, to tranquilize, to soothe the whole body. Now this, this process is, is requires a lot of kindness, a lot of care. So they don't even call it samadhi practice. I think that we shouldn't even call it that because we have all these weird ideas. It's a kindness practice. We sometimes think we're getting pleasure, but when we're in a compulsive state, when we're running around wanting to see some something, sometimes. We see a movie, it's not that movies are bad, movies can be wonderful, but sometimes we just have to see something. Just notice your eyes are tired afterwards. Sometimes you eat something, it's not saying it's not pleasant, but did I need that extra piece of chocolate cake? Feel the pleasure, but not satisfied, go look at something, go eat something, go read something, conk out. Not that there isn't a pleasure there, but underlying it is a hunger, is a compulsion, is a burning kind of, what's the word, um, dis-ease. That's when the sense world's not honored, when it's not used mindfully sometimes. It's not that we shouldn't eat or shouldn't see things. But when we're always being moved by this desire to kind of get somewhere, then, then there's pain in that. Can we get a sense for the pain of always trying to maximize something, some sense experience? Can we get a feeling for that pain? Can, and as we stop and feel the body, if the body is tired, or the body is restless, the body is heavy, In this practice, we're receiving that feeling. That's the powder, that's the stuff that's in this brass bowl. We all have a lovely brass bowl. We might not know it, but the brass bowl is our, is the pure heart. The Buddha taught whether you know it or not, the heart is radiant. It is. That's our brass bowl. It's our container. It's universal. We don't notice the brass bowl because we're so busy being mesmerized by the I want and the I don't want, by the things that move through the heart. So in this meditative practice, we're encouraging ourselves to remember again that we have this capacity to notice, to be with. We're encouraging the attention to receive the body. Maybe to begin with a breath, or a deep breath, just so we notice what does it feel like to breathe in, to breathe out. The nature of compassion is it resonates with the suffering. Compassion. Passion is the suffering. Come together with. Can it feel this? The passion is to feel. 
we feel with the body. But in this case, not trying to get anywhere. We're giving our full attention. We're saying, well, so this is actually the source, the source of our capacity to relate to anything. To another person, to a situation, our capacity to be loving, our capacity to engage, all comes out of our ability to maintain contact with something. We're working on primary relationship here. It's the capacity of the heart, the, the awareness to receive something, to be with something, to know something. But it's not just knowing. I mean, knowing is very important in these next few days as we look into the wisdom factor. This, this heart has the nature to pulu in Thai. It means the one that knows. Our heart knows that a talk is happening now. Our heart knows that we're sitting. Our heart knows that the light is fading as dusk approaches. If there's that wisdom factor, there's that knowing, that's an aspect, a magical aspect, a wonderful aspect of this heart, luminous awareness. But it's not just knowing, it's also able to feel with, to be with, or to experience something without analyzing still the same function, but a slightly different flavor. Because another aspect of this being with the breath is that in, the, in being with bodies, that's what allows it to become, to become healed. I speak about this with a certain amount of passion because this has kept me alive. Some years ago I had typhoid in Thailand and almost died. And, and then for eight years I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. They said I had it for a lifetime. A few years ago then they said they can't find it anymore. So the doctor said, you never had it. And I said, well, you're the one who told me I had it. <laughs> Linda. So you told me that. So maybe it wasn't. But it was lots of, from, maybe it was from the typhoid, all this ulceration in the inside, a lot of internal bleeding. And for years, when I would come back to the bodily experience, and still even frequently with a lot of, presently with a lot of fatigue that comes from time to time, when I would come to body, it was a painful experience. But over the years, I began to trust that the friend, the, compass, the most compassionate medicine for body-mind is to be there, is to receive the body into awareness. So that's heart and body dancing together. That's within the bowl, the luminous brass bowl, the water sprinkling, the kneading, and some alchemy takes place. In the case of when you're not feeling good, 
couldn't always sit up. And my main meditation for years was lying down. Lie down, excuse me, lie down, right side, shaped in a slight bow, just be still. Just do what the Buddha asked. Find the body. Notice it's expanding, notice it's contracting. And then allow the attention to, that's the vitaka, directing it to, to the moment. Then what's vichara? Vitaka is saying, here's the body. Don't get distracted, don't go away. This is suffering here. It's, it's calling for a presence. Please hear me. So Kuan Yin means the one who receives, the one who hears. Body's asking to be heard, to be received. The taka is a thought that says, okay, let's go there. Then something in us receives that experience. So when the awareness, when you're lying down or now you're sitting up, can you receive? Can you, how do you know you're sitting there? I just know. Well, how do you know? You feel it. You feel the posture the pressure. And the awareness can also notice, it can scan, it can get a feeling of the shape. The awareness can can hold that that's the jar. It's getting a sense of the shape. It's meeting. It's meeting body. Getting to know body. Moving in breath. Without breath. The mind wanders a little bit. And then the talker says, oh, come back. And the sorrow feels it. Now this next bit is why it's compassionate, not just knowing. It's not just cold knowing. Because when the sorrow, when the receptive mind feels something, it will feel something, it'll feel a, a fleck, something that doesn't have water in it yet. Or, I'm back to the Bathman's simile. Or it will feel a tension. It will feel a place that's not been sensitized. A part, a part of the body that's not useful. You will notice that. Aha! Now the, so now that receptive mind has found something. It's also called the exploring mind. So then the next vitaka, the next directed mind will say, whoa, let's go there. That's not happy. And notice that area, it's a little tight, it's a little hot maybe, it's a little tense, maybe it's a little numb. Getting to know that. The vitaka, the vitara dance around one another. We breathe in, we breathe out, start to explore the body, we might notice it's tension. So vichara also encourages us to adjust. Hey, we've got to relax our shoulders. Relax. Relax. How did we know to relax? Because the directed mind pointed to the body, the exploring mind, and just being in touch, getting to know the feeling. Encounter that that's a bit tense, then that then informs. So the meditation is intuitive. It guides itself, not just rigid, no, 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 no. Knowing, I mean, like a laser beam holding on to something. You can get concentrated, but it's like a steel spring. 
Heaven forbid you disturb someone like that. <laughs> you ruined my meditation. It's concentrated, but it's fragile. Notice the place where, where does this take you? When the mind's noticing the body, sustaining it with in-breath, sustaining without breath, and then beginning to allow the scope of the mind to feel the other parts of the body, knowing there where the energy is not flowing. Oh, there's a tension there in the joint. So then that very tension is part of the breath body. That we honor that uncomfortable feeling rather than sit there and think, oh gosh, I'm not feeling good. There's no rapture here. Then we go off somewhere else. And we settle for a secondary pleasure. I don't mean it to sound bad because I'd like to do things just like anybody else. But we we get scared away by the unpleasant kind of feeling and then go off because something's pretty over there or that looks interesting over there. And then we're back on the treadmill of trying to find an ease that's never really satisfying. When we're back to an uncomfortable feeling, that's precisely then the area where we have the opportunity to be patient, to be with a sense of heaviness, be with a sense of density. Breathe in and out with that area, subtly relaxing with each out breath. Learning to be content there, this is key. Remember the jhana factors, or the peaceful factors, or the healing factors. The healing factors are directing the mind, meaning nudging it to the present, being receptive. Number three means savoring, means having enough space to really appreciate whatever there is, whether it's heavy, whether it's light. And then the next factor, sukha, means ease or it means contentment. Can we be content? To encourage the mind to be content with just being with body. In practice, it's learning to be content with a feeling that doesn't seem... For an hour ago, I sat with dense feelings in the bones. And it's hard to explain. We all have our own feelings, but something in this nose where one doesn't feel good. Just be with that. Just be content with that. To get to know that feeling as one breathes in and relaxes. Breathes in and relaxes. It means suffusing. What does suffusing mean? It means as we breathe in, we might be noticing a, a specific area in the body. As we breathe out, then we allow the awareness also to notice other parts of the body so that that energy can be blessed, can flow. All of this is just about relaxing and about sustaining presence. As one practices, the areas of constriction light up. The areas that are out of balance make themselves known. That then becomes the sign of what needs to be included, gathered into our brass bowl. Let the awareness be broad. Let it be broad. Be patient and relax. 
that's been how the feeling of harmony, the feeling of ekagata, what's called the fifth factor of healing, comes in. Because the attention is broad enough so that the different elements of this being are allowed to speak to each other, allowed to be together within this unity of awareness. As we start to calm down a little bit, then maybe it will be the case that for us we'll find where it feels natural in a particular time to allow the attention to rest. Might be Ajahn Shah found himself easily resting with the nostrils after he got very peaceful. His attention was still broad, but he was comfortable there. Others, heart maybe. Others you might find as it moves around. I wouldn't worry about that. But I think the main thing is being with body, relaxing, tranquilizing, learning to be content, and allowing the body to be heard and received. The first blessing. Because then we have a little bit of ease find that there's something close to us that's just breathe. Areas that aren't comfortable, it's almost like they have no breath in them. The word for a living being in, in the language that the Buddha spoke is a being that breathes. That's what a living being was. The time of the Buddha, that's how you spoke it. And the precept to not harm living beings is panatipata, means avoid harming beings that pana, prana, beings that breathe. So we're allowing the life principle, the life force to be received. And then parts of us have constricted off, are not really breathing. The blessing. The first blessing then of, of uh, this sort of activity is finding a little more blameless contentment, little, uh, finding that there's something precious right here at the heart. And then we'll find that from this same place in the next few days we'll also be exploring how from this very same place of healing, this place of allowing things to become more comfortable, more harmonized, it's the same place that then is able to look into the nature of things. It all comes from the same place. Wisdom and compassion. But one thing that we'll find is our ability to really see into the true nature of things. To really see the nature of a worry and not be derailed by it. To see and know and experience the nature of a doubt and not be knocked off our balance by takes a quality of presence of mind that can penetrate and really recognize the ephemeral changing nature of that phenomenon and actually this uh, you, know, you might not know it this little bits of patience little bits of willingness to be with how things are 
not only deepens our, our patience and to some degree hopefully eventually ease, but that will give us the strength to also back up our wisdom practice. Otherwise our wisdom is not wisdom when we're really looking in to see the nature of things. If we have no samadhi, meaning if we have no steadiness of heart, then we're just thinking. We can think all we want about enlightenment, emptiness. I was thinking about blue chip emptiness. It's the real thing. Empty. Empty. We'll just be thinking. It's different when we're thinking and there's a quality of presence of mind. Then we know a thought for a thought. We realize the thought appears and dissolves. Then our heart, it'll be easy for us to, to even transfer. It's all happening in the same moment. To transfer this quality of willingness to be with, resonate with, breath. Then to transfer that attention to actually looking into the changing nature of things to looking into what really belongs to us. We'll really have some, some ground from which to, to steady ourselves, some strength with which to really stay with and look closely. Because some of these things are very subtle that fool us, our views and opinions and perceptions. So not only is this calming practice, in time is it just a blessing in how we feel, it's also the, the foundation of our wisdom practice. But I encourage you just for a little while, Anna, don't worry about figuring anything out. So much of our suffering can be eased by being willing to be patient and practice enjoying simple things, walking, sitting, lying down, standing, moving, breathing. A mind that's open with things, relaxing, not a tense mind, it's a stable heart. If we find out that we're, we're, we're just really suffering a lot these, these first few days, then it's probably one of two things. If, if, if we're not able to kind of rest at all, we're probably finding one of two simple things happening that we're just wanting, wanting to get somewhere. Maybe trying too hard. wanting to get peaceful, wanting to have an insight, wanting to get to the end of the sitting, wanting to understand. When we're mesmerized by that, we try too hard. It's useful if, it's just, if, if that's happening just to encourage the heart just to be content to listen to that one, 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 one. Listen to it. Can we recognize that it's, it's exhausting to continually be racing? You just relax. 
realize that that wanting is always pointing to something else. You just relax, go to the body, just feel that fever, the fever. Just kindly, compassionately feel the fever, coolly, with dispassion, with relaxing on the out-breath. Either wanting or, or not wanting. Sometimes in this practice we're not aware that we're wanting a lot or we're not wanting. You might find that you're just pushing things away. Don't like the sound. Don't like the images of people around me. Don't like the body. Don't like being alive. At least we can name it. It might be that one's not noticing it. And if that's the case, we're, we're trying to get peaceful by pushing things away. And I really encourage us to let our practice, remember, be welcoming. It's like a well. This brass bowl is a well. It's wide. It's open. It's like Kuan Yin. It's what our mind is like. All those hands and eyes, it's luminous. Ring, luminous ring, huge container of awareness that listens, that receives. Welcome. Everything's well. It comes. The stuff we want to get rid of, huh? No, you can just be right there. Let it be there. Try to keep with the body in the midst of it. We feel like we, 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 we just say, welcome, and then try to be patient with those feelings. Try to get away. 